This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is presented as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsor nor the guests are rendering any medical advice. Any opinions or claims presented by the guests are their own. Welcome to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. We share interviews with healthcare executives, medical providers, and patient advocates. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back to our podcast, The Patients Speak. This is the podcast where we combine the business and science innovations of healthcare with the patient voice and what we need to hear from patients as we try to speed up and improve their patient journey from diagnosis to wellness. I'm so happy today to have a guest, Howard Brown. He's a cancer survivor, two-time cancer survivor himself. He's also been a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, and he's the author of a new book called Shining Brightly. It's a memoir of resilience and hope. Howard, welcome to the program. Mark, thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. Well, it's going to be a great conversation, and I'm sure we have a lot to learn from your experience. I think I just want to start off right straight up with the theme of this podcast. And Tell us, as a cancer survivor and a patient yourself, what do we need to hear better when we listen to the patient speak? I will tell you that a lot has changed. Having uh, you know, diagnosed with stage four T-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1989, right? No computers, no cell phones, and no internet. And then getting, again, 26 years later, a stage four uh, metastatic colorectal cancer, uh, you know, first stage three, then stage four diagnosis. I, I lived in two different times. Uh, one was really analog and the other one was digital. And um, a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same. And But I will tell you, the positive part is that the patient voice is more relevant and more, um, more required than ever. Uh, it's really important that you're able to form a collaborative team around you when you get a cancer diagnosis. And um, I, I was able to kind of learn how to do that in the analog times in 1989, 1990, but I did it very effectively this time around uh, to be uh, be much more collaborative and much more involved in um, you know my diagnosis treatment and the survivorship plan. Well, and it would be great to hear your experience because we often hear that you know, a patient might be sitting in front of their doctor, family doctor, our oncologist, uh, hear the word cancer for the first time, and more or less shut down. And I, I've read you know, and then we don't hear anything <laughs> for the rest of the hour. And so building that team around you not only has an informational aspect to it to learn about your disease and and possible treatments, but also to get the sort of psychosocial and emotional support. What was your experience? So the first experience, I was a deer in the headlights. My dad actually had to go to the library and get a book on cancer. I mean, we I didn't know anything. I was 23 years old. I was living in Ohio and I moved back home with mom and dad because uh, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, you know, world-known you know, cancer research hospital, uh, was the place where my treatment was going to take place. So I, I was learning, but I was, uh, I was in denial. I, I didn't know what was going on and kind of had to learn as, as I went. The second time around, I was a dad, I was married, and it was a lot different situation. But my, my, my experience is don't go at it alone. Don't do this alone. It's way too complex, you know, cancer diagnosis and treatment. It cuts you down emotionally, physically, financially, and in relationships. Take someone with you. And if you can't take someone with you, someone can be a mentor, can be assigned, a nurse navigator, any type of uh, patient advocator. There, there's resources for you. But having someone with you 
is important because having that perspective to listen and hear what you're supposed to be hearing in the doctors, being able to keep notes, being able to record, being able to FaceTime, really, really important now that we can do that I didn't have the first time. But I had my parents with me and um, we had to learn. I would say that that was really important is understanding, one, it's not a death sentence necessarily. More people are living with cancer. Um, I think the number's around 16 million and they're growing to 25 million in the next seven years. So people are living either in treatment or as survivors with cancer. So that means things are getting better. And in your role as a mentor and patient advocate and teaching others, how do you find the idea of being an active patient, taking an active role versus, well, you're the doctor, you tell me what to do. What is the importance of the patient being an active player in the treatment? I want to tell you that um, I suffer from a side effect called neuropathy, right? And so neuropathy is from the toxins in these chemotherapies. Uh, they're strong and they eliminate some of your nerve endings. Well, I was a little too late for that, but uh, the group I'm with in Colentown, they actually invented an icing protocol. If you ice during uh, a platinum-based chemotherapy on your head cap, your hands, and your feet, it reduces that side effect. Well, I didn't know that. That's cool. That's, that's, that's basically doing your research and your homework. Now, listen, Dr. Google can be also be dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, it actually told me when I first got diagnosed that I actually had uh, about 12% chance of living 12 months. And then the next time when I went metastatic, it was 4% chance of living. Those are, those are numbers. Those are, those are old statistics. Only God knows when you're going to numbers up. You have to be able to understand what the doctors are telling you and be able to make decisions in your treatment. I made a decision after chemotherapy to take a chemo break and do a clinical trial. Unfortunately, that clinical trial, we'll talk about that in more detail, didn't work. But I was actually felt empowered in discussing the options with my doctor and making that decision. So being active in your decision-making and not just accepting the status quo, because I, I failed the first couple rounds of chemo. It didn't work, right? Mm -hmm. And I did the same thing my first time around with lymphoma. I failed the chemo options that they were presenting to me. And then you get desperate and then you start looking for clinical trials. And then you start looking at, uh, you know, sometimes crazy stuff like, you know, the orange juice diet's going to save you from cancer. And unfortunately, that's not true. Well, let's take that topic up then, clinical trials. And I know the presenters of this podcast, 83 Bar, who are involved in patient recruitment, are often talking about, you know, how we can find more patients or how to inform more patients that clinical trials are an option. Yeah, the numbers are so low that people even know what a clinical trial is and might ask their doctor if that might be an option. How did you find your clinical trials and what would you advise some of the patients that you work with about considering those as an option? Today, the patient advocacy network is strong in, in all cancers. So you can go to these advocacy groups in brain, lung, breast, prostate cancer, you know, colon cancer. You, you can now find help. So that help is there to actually do some navigation for you because navigating, you know, clinicaltrials.gov is, is, you need some expertise. You need some medical backing and understanding. So there are navigators that help, can help you find that. My first time around in 1990, I was presented by my bone marrow transplant team. Now it's called stem cell transplants. They presented me the opportunity to be a patient for an arm one after transplant or interleukin two, which is to strengthen my natural killer cells. So I, I basically, when you sign that paperwork, it's scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it tells you this clinical trial could kill you. Now, in this case, it worked. It helped strengthen my immune system and my DNA and, and it worked. And I was on it for six months. 
victory and declare victory. It was awesome with very little side effects. The second time around, I went for the clinical trial and it didn't work. Uh, and I was booted out because I went from stage three to stage four metastatic. I found that through uh, a, you know, a patient network from someone in Houston that said the doctor was running the trial out of Colorado. I talked to my doctor about it. They were actually having, having an arm here in Detroit and I qualified for it. So I, I went down and I started it. I signed all the paperwork, again, scary, and I started it. I did uh, two rounds of that and then uh, kind of went metastatic and they said, nope, you're no longer in the trial. So, the, you know, the data wasn't going to be good. And I don't know if it was helping anyways, but that, that was my luck with it. But clinical trials are important because that's the advancements in cures, right? We, we have drugs in immunotherapy right now that are helping save lives. And Unfortunately, when they go from testing it on, you know, on mice and, and on monkeys, eventually you got to test it on humans to see the efficacy, to see the side effects, uh, see the toxicity, see if it works. And uh, we become lab rats ourselves, but that's actually the advancement in the science yes. of solving this mystery, very complex mystery called cancer. Yes. Well, and the sponsors of these trials and some of the uh, pharma and biotech companies, of course, are interested in understanding the patient's perspective as well. And you often advise some of these companies. What would you say to the firms uh, and the companies and manufacturers out there that might be listening to this podcast? You know, what do they really need to understand? That in a conference room, they may not hear it clearly, but from your point of view, one-on-one -on -one and from the patients, what do these companies need to hear? They need to make it kind of, easier to get into the trials. They're missing a whole population of cult disparities, really with uh, being minorities, Indian, African-American, Latino. Certain populations are not finding trials. And so that population is underserved and it's you're not basically getting the whole part of the puzzle solved here. So access to those trials is a big, big problem right now. And it has been, and it still is. Making sure that the patient is understanding of the trials, talking them through that trials is really important as well. And you can't just rush through it. You need to make sure that the patient and their caregiving team, including their original oncology team, is also understanding you know, what's going on here as well. So that's, that's another whole process. The other thing is, is that uh, they do pay for your parking uh, usually, right. but um, you know, they, they have to rely on your input. So the patient has to be able to give a, a way to be able to express feedback. And they need to make that simple. It can't be very complex. So they need to be able to either record you uh, like we're doing now or give a patient portal where you can actually give your feedback. And that feedback needs to you know, be uh, well, how you're feeling beforehand. Usually you're nervous. Usually there's anxiety. Um, you might not even be feeling well, right? And then also uh, afterwards as well. And then in some, some clinical trials, there's placebo where you're not getting any active medicine. You don't know it and nothing's happening, right? And they're still measuring you. So again, it's a complex process, but it needs to be simplified. Uh, but it's an important process because uh, we, we need to move forward and, uh, and help save more lives. Yes. We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes, find client success stories and market reports, along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83Bar.com. Well, Howard, one reviewer of your book called you an angelic troublemaker. You know, and you certainly have this other role in your life, you know, that you've called a peacemaker. But this idea of an angelic troublemaker, you still have to be provocative every now and then to get people's attention, whether that be the patients or the companies, as we've been talking about. 
Go a little bit further with your feedback to the companies. Be that provocateur for a moment. What do we need to get right? So I have to put a shout out to Babson College, you know, number one school for entrepreneurism. Entrepreneurship takes all types of shapes and, uh, and, and flavors, and we call it entrepreneurship of all kinds. So um, entrepreneurship isn't really important, but you have to have perseverance and you have to have dedication. You have to have a little bit of luck. But you can do it with kindness and you can do it with uh, what we call the triple bottom line of being able to understanding that, you know, you can be a servant to your community and a servant to others. So that's the angelic part is that if you take that opportunity that, you know, you're, you're definitely want to build a company and, uh, and, and go for profits and but treating your employees uh, with kindness and fairness, uh, being able to, you know, be offered then uh, to the community that you're in um, some benefit. Is, is really that angelic part as well. If companies do that, they actually attract better and more productive employees and they build a stellar reputation to not only being serving their customers, but serving their community. Well, my guest is Howard Brown. He's a two-time cancer survivor and entrepreneur himself and author of a terrific new book, Shining Brightly. Let's talk a minute about the book, Howard. What uh, compelled you and motivated you to decide to put some of this story that you've been telling into print? So the funny thing is, is that my publisher, David Crown Frontage Publishing and, and readthespirit.com magazine, he was coming really to say goodbye to me. I was a stage four cancer patient and uh, he didn't know if I was going to live. I didn't know if I was going to live. Um, I had just uh, basically been told uh, that uh, colon cancer had spread to my liver, my stomach lining and my, my bowel. And uh, we had to do some Hail Mary chemo and a Hail Mary surgery, you know, that was coming up. And he said, you want to leave a legacy? And, and we had bagels and coffee and we wrote on a napkin you know, Silicon Valley style, uh, you know, 10 chapter headings. I was going to say the best ideas are on a napkin. You got to sure. write it on a napkin, right? <laughs> so uh, he kept that napkin. He still has it. And uh, I went home and told my wife, David Crumb wants to write a book with me and leave a legacy. Maybe a short book, right? And this frightened me. It was daunting. Uh, I'm not a writer. You got to know what you're good at. I'm a good speaker, but not, not a great writer. And Lisa said, oh my God, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, this is now October 19, uh, of uh, 2019. You know, we're now communicating like we're doing on Zoom. Uh, we rolled into, you know, into COVID and Zoom and uh, these, you know, communications became, you know, lifelines for us. So I, I called David back and I said, David, if I can interview the most important people in my life, most influential people in my life, walk back my life, I said, I'll write a book with you. And that was my one demand. He said, only one demand. Oh my goodness, that's, but that's a big one. <laughs> We've never done that before. So he called me back and he said, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to take us a year and we're going to you know, invite people to record them. And then those uh, recordings will become transcripts and then become chapter drafts. And then we'll finally get a manuscript. And that's what we did. But it took three years. <laughs> it didn't take one. Yes. And so we're in the middle of COVID doing it. And now we actually have a published book. And um, the, the, the book has got three tough cancer chapters, but it's really a book about resilience and living uh, a life of hope and positive change. Uh, in this world and shining that beautiful light that we all have to lift ourselves up, lift others, and then lift our communities up. And that that's basically the, the, the sum of the book. And it's a great takeaway. It's inspirational. And it tells you how to get back up again when you get knocked down. And, and as cancer patients and our families and care for your partners, we get knocked down pretty hard. But you still, you got to get up out of bed every day and push further and keep going. It's okay to sleep in bed one day, but you know, you got to get back up the next day. Keep moving. Good encouragement. Well, Thanks. I couldn't help but also read the foreword by Dr. Robert Wicks, who also talks about these difficult times, and he says they can often offer graced 
moments that are more striking than even the good times might be. How do we learn from those tough times? So I, I, I love that because the book that I read, and he's published like 25 books, but Bounce. So Bounce is, is the way to, is, and he's the godfather of resilience and resilience training. So being able to find, you know, uh, some light in, in, in that cancer journey, you know, it, it affects people. It affected, you know, a lot of negative effect of my daughter and my wife and, and all that, knowing not if dad's going to live or die. But also there were some special moments here. One, writing the book. Two, I've witnessed some major inspiration by some other cancer patients that are amazing that, you know, they've gone through treatment, then climbed a mountain or ran a marathon or a triathlon. Mm -hmm. um, they've done some amazing stuff in, in the charity world to, uh, you know, raise funds for others. And so you get to look for that goodness, go find that goodness. And that's a really important thing that you've got to be able to, although you're going through something very difficult, very complex, and not maybe knowing the outcome, find out that bright spot each day. And, and I call that also finding your happy place and go there as much as you can. It can be yoga, cooking, it can be hiking, biking, travel. For me, it's the basketball court. I actually find that no stress place on the basketball court. That's, that's where I, I don't feel anything but a guy playing hoops and sweating. And it's also good exercise. It's good for the endorphins. It's good, good all around. So find that happy place. Well, and we often use this term patient journey or patient experiences. And everything you've described just now, though, has little to do with the patient and everything to do with the person and their journey of life. How can we, again, as industry people, listen to that patient speaking and say, don't just think of me and my disease, think of me as the full person? So, I mean, you have to think about the miracle that uh, my doctor, Eric Rubin, said before I did any chemotherapy, I had my liver function was too high. This is 1989 in October. And he said, you're going on a field trip to the cryogenics center. All right. This is 1989. People today are still not talking about fertility preservation enough. There's some docs that are, but more need to. Imagine that, that my doctor had the wherewithal, the vision to be able to send me to the cryogenics center. And I actually went. 11 years later, Frozen Sperm gave me a beautiful daughter who's going to graduate the University of Michigan this December. So think about those outcomes, right? The worst thing that could have happened was that I would have passed away and the sperm would have been destroyed. Uh, but meanwhile, I got to have my daughter instead of using a surrogate or adoption, which is would fine too. So as the patient, we have to understand that one, that they need to be helped to be educated. Two, there's tons of paperwork. There's tons of billing and finances. I will tell you that many, many cancer patients are struggling financially. Okay. The cost of, of insurance and the cost of medical, it's broken. All right. And it's broken for those with disparities and those poor people as well. So that's another thing that has to happen. And then as a patient, we need support, right? So emotionally, okay, people learn this through COVID now, right? Our emotional uh, you know, balance is out of whack a little bit, right? We got restricted. We had to wear a mask. We had to stay inside. We have the you know, choice of getting vaccinated or not. As a cancer patient, you don't find that you have less choices, right? So we, we need that support emotionally. And, and so we talk about something in the cancer world uh, called chemo brain. Well, chemo brain is just uh, basically another name for PTSD, post-traumatic stress. The amounts of stress that you get, you know, in dealing with cancer and, and in dealing with all the medication and the side effects, it's real. And it needs to be recognized it's real. I'll add to that is something called indivisible disabilities. Everyone looks at me now and says, Howard, you're great. Well, I can't remember names. Okay. I need to get a lot more sleep. I have neuropathy in my hands and feet, and I go to the bathroom a ton, and I probably will for the rest of my life, right? Those things are like, I don't feel great all the time, but again, you try to put on a positive spin on things. 
but you have to recognize there's individual stuff. You don't know people's story until you really ask. Boy, that's true. Well, and let's ask for a moment then, Howard, we've talked about the being in the doctor's office. Maybe we've talked about being in a company's conference room, but let's just talk about being at the kitchen table or with a friend at a coffee shop and think of those advocates and those friends and those uh, people that can support the patient. What do we need to hear about that side of things? So relationships, that's the the other piece I talked about, you know, getting cut to your core emotionally, physically, financially. The relationship piece is actually fairly complex. I've lost and made friendships uh, during this last six years. There's people that I'm just not in communication with now that I was very close with. Then there's the other reason that I'm not close with some people is that negativity, all right? You got to try to cut out as much negativity as you're possible. You're trying to heal. You're trying to deal with a lot of stuff. And if you can minimize the negativity, and I'll tell you, one of the ways is, is that I only cursory look at the news. There's a lot of uh, shootings in schools and wars. There's plenty and of negativity. Yes. A lot of it is negative. So if I cut that out. Um, it, it's a discipline. It, it's learned behavior and it adds to your mental toughness. Your resilience and your mental toughness are muscles that you can build up or you can actually tear down. And their mental toughness is really important. If you can be strong, mentally tough and have a positive attitude, that helps you get through. It really does. And so relationships sitting at the kitchen table, I would like people to say, you know, uh, can I um, can I help drive your daughter to soccer practice? You know, uh, you know, I started a meal train for you. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. You know, the school donated, uh, you know, cleaning supplies, things that can take things off your plate. And I'll tell you one big one that I resisted because you got to be able to at the kitchen table receive help. Mm-hmm. And I was resistant. I'm always wanting to be the giver. It's not what, you know, it's not actually what you get. It's what you give. And we're trained that way. But you have to let other people give too. They want to give, they want to help. And my high school and college friends came to me and they said, insurance isn't covering everything. You must, you know, get saddled with a lot of medical bills. And I said, I, yeah, I am. And they, I resisted for a long time, but then they started to go fund me and I, they raised a bunch of money for me. And you know what? I was glad they did it. And I don't know why I resisted, but I did. And so letting people help you, receiving that help is important. So that's a real lesson that uh, I and others you know, need to learn over the kitchen table. Mm, thanks for sharing that. Well, listeners, my guest has been Howard Brown. He's the author of Shining Brightly, a memoir of resilience and hope. He shared a lot of stories and ideas with us today. But Howard, before we close, I wanted to sort of accentuate a couple of things that you said and make sure we have a going forward look. I like the the hope aspect of all of this. The, the sub-theme of our podcast is accelerating the patient journey. As you look ahead and as you've had a chance to work with you know, other patients, with scientists, with you know, industry of all kinds, what do you see out there for the future that can accelerate the patient journey? Make it different, make it better, make it faster. So I will tell you, I'm going to continue working, you know, as a patient advocate, as a healthcare consultant with the industry to be able to improve uh, that patient experience. And many people need to be able to do that, but you need diverse voices at the table. So I'm going to encourage others uh, uh, you know, of age, other ages, other uh, nationalities, uh, other beliefs to be able to come to the table. So that's that's really the going forward thing that has to happen. Um, and then I will I will say that you have to take care of yourself, right? You have to know and check, you know, where you're at with your health, right, and your emotional and physical and financial and, and relationships. Then go help others because that helps you. It helps you. That helps you helping other patients that you're five steps ahead of helps. It's a give back. 
And that's what we're here to do. We're here to then, you know, give back to others uh, that are five steps behind us in, in that patient journey. Tell them your perspective. Um, you may not be able to solve them. Just be a good listener. Just hear them. They want to be heard. Um, but tell them your experience. You know, you're not a doctor. You're not going to give them medical advice, but you can tell them your experience um, and, and how you dealt with things. And maybe they can, they can learn from you and, and, and form their own ways to be able to get through, uh, you know, just a horrible, you know, diagnosis and treatment plan. And then survivorship's a whole nother new ball. There's no one there telling you how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mm -hmm. You've got to formulate your own plan and you've got to formulate your own way to find your happy place and, and get back, uh, you know, away from being called the patient. Yes. Being called, you know, again, things like that. So those are my, you know, small things. But but once we do lift up ourselves and lift up others, we become this force multiplier, and we help change, change the industry, change the way that that, that clinical trials are being done. You know, change the way that uh, that care is being given, all for the better. And uh, that, that that's that's a good goal. And and we uh, we do this. And I'll leave you with this, uh, Mark. Life is a team sport. Fighting cancer is a team sport. Build your team. Very motivating, very encouraging. Howard, can't thank you enough for being on our program. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So if people want to reach out to me, shiningbrightly.com. You know, I'm shining brightly here. This is my <laughs> moniker, my trademark. It's so, so shining so brightly, we got to wear shades. Please reach out to me uh, at shiningbrightly.com. Check out the book. Check out the, the downloads. There's a download on survivorship and on mentorship and on interface stuff. And reach out to me. I'm interactive. I, I want to talk to you. So and thank you for having me today. It was a real pleasure. You bet. Well, thanks for sharing uh, your knowledge, most of all your attitude and your experiences. So listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue conversations like we've had with Howard today. We talk with healthcare executives. We talk with patient advocates. We talk with researchers of all kinds and providers. Most of all, though, we're centered on accelerating the patient journey, as we've said. We want to hear the most important thing of all, and that's the information we gain when we listen to the patients speak. So until next time, I'm Mark Stinson. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83Bar.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app.